0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: Today we continue our series on things that are and are not in the Bible. We started by looking at the Christmas story and the wise men who come looking for baby Jesus. Not everything we think we know about the Christmas story is actually in the Bible. But like them, we too can pursue knowing Jesus and living for the Lord. Last week we had a forecast for freezing rain and had an online-only service. We talked about the baptism of Jesus by John and the reason we even get baptized in the first place. It's not a cheat code to get us into heaven. We follow it up, uh, but is an act in line with a, a desire to follow God. When we choose Jesus... That's why we get baptized. It signals death to ourselves as we come alive in following God's path for our lives. Now we look at a problem that crops up as we commit our lives to Jesus. Why do some follow God and others don't? Why do good things happen to some people and others seem to always be struggling? I've heard plenty of people summarize it with this biblical phrase, everything happens for a reason. Uh, The only problem is that that is nowhere to be found in the Bible, so why do these things good and bad happen? Is God doing it? Is God orchestrating these things behind the scenes so that everything truly has a reason for it, or is it all just random? Let's explore the scriptures and see if we can get to a decision on everything happens for a reason. Our scripture for today comes from Romans 8, and Erica is going to return for us to read that for us. Here, the Apostle Paul describes the future glory of God's coming kingdom and the hope that we have in Christ. I want you to listen for what Paul describes as our purpose as we dive into this question of whether everything happens for a reason or not. Let's listen to Romans 8, 18 through 30, as the Apostle Paul reminds us of our struggles and the call on our lives here now,
0: Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose." For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified.
1: The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, make us an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Open us to understand your word and the destiny you have for us. Amen. Destiny is an interesting word. When I hear it, I always think of Star Wars with Darth Vader telling Luke Skywalker to join him because it is your destiny as though it is inevitable, as though he has no choice but to become evil and join him. But others might argue we always have a choice. We can always do something different because we don't have to go bad. Even if we don't like the alternative, there is always a way out. You just need a different perspective on things. Years ago, there was a young girl, Carmen, who had fallen in love with a boy. She had only gone on one date with him, and when her mom found out about it, she asked a bunch of questions, and when she found out her daughter's new boyfriend was Sicilian, she was outraged. She herself had married a Sicilian man, and she described him as a deadbeat. She didn't want her daughter to go through the same pain and suffering she had gone through. So the mom and her daughter, Carmen, argue, and finally the mother goes out to shop before her daughter's second date. She returns just before Carmen's new boyfriend is expected to arrive, and her mother brought home a live chicken. It's in a box, and it's pecking and making plenty of noise. Carmen is livid. This has never happened before, and her mom certainly didn't need a live chicken. She thought to herself it had to be all a ploy to get her new boyfriend to freak out and leave. So Carmen's new boyfriend arrives, and her mother invites him into the kitchen right near the box with the chicken in it. She's chatting him up, asking about his family, his school, and the whole time he's looking over at this box with a chicken in it. Finally, she addresses the, the chicken in the room, and she asks the boy if he's ever killed one before. He hadn't, but he felt a certain sense of pressure from Carmen's mother. He felt like he had to say yes, so after some coaxing and badgering, he says he has done that before. She gives him a knife and demands that he does this thing for her, and he does. He quickly and cleanly kills the bird, and she invites him to come back in a few days for some chicken cacciatore. Now, after this happens, the two go off on their date, but they literally never speak of it. They just completely ignore that this bizarre event even happened. But years later, they are asked about it because these two teenagers eventually went on to get married. Carmen says, reflecting back on it, she is so grateful to her mother. Her mom wanted to make sure she was dating a man who loved her who would do just about anything for her. She felt like her mother was helping her find her destiny in this man that was so willing to do this thing for her. But if you ask her boyfriend, now it's her husband, he'll give you a very different answer. For him, he didn't really think of it in terms of love. He was only on his second date with Carmen, after all he felt like Carmen's mother was actually challenging his manhood. He didn't want to seem like a wimp that couldn't take care of her daughter. That is a radically different perspective, isn't it? And it doesn't sound like it has much to do with destiny from his perspective, does it? So for those of us that feel like we are fulfilling our destiny with our lives, I wonder what others around us might think about that. I wonder if we asked those other people what they would say about the things they see us saying and doing. I've heard plenty of people in my life talk about destiny or how fate caused something to happen. More and more, I hear people talk about karma as though the universe demands a rebalancing of good and evil actions. Uh, Just the other week, I did something I later regretted. And when something else happened that was bad, Uh, something that was out of my control, the first thought that popped into my head was, did God do that to teach me a lesson? Is that how it works? The Bible certainly has some interesting things to say about these concepts. The, The specific word destiny, though, doesn't ever show up in the Bible. Instead, the word we see is predestination. Some churches have very strong feelings about this word as though uh, there is one very clear idea in the scriptures that God is in control of everything. That's how they read these few verses. God makes it so that some choose good while others choose evil, that everything uh, that happens to you happens exactly as God has planned it out for you. The problem, of course, is that if God makes everything happen exactly as it happens, then we have no responsibility for anything. Good, bad, it doesn't matter. It's all on God, not on me. A few weeks ago, just after celebrating Christmas, there's this really tough, passage that is read about every other year in many churches. It's the story of Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus fleeing from their home to avoid King Herod. The king is rabidly jealous of this newborn child who is being called the Messiah, the king of all Israel. Um, So he decides the best way to get rid of this threat is to just kill all the babies. Now, some people go too far and say, oh, this awful tragedy killed thousands of children and an entire generation was lost no that's that's not what happened it was all the babies in that town up to two years old so we're talking about maybe 20 or 30 babies at most it's still awful and I don't want to minimize the loss that those families would have experienced but it didn't happen everywhere just in that one town now let's pause and look at that for a moment God sent his son into the world and a man murdered babies because of it. Would anyone pin God for those murders? Would anyone say Herod is not responsible for those deaths? Of course he is. God didn't make him murder those children. He did it out of his own jealousy. He is directly responsible for his own sin. Do we blame God for the evil actions of people? I would hope not. I just heard a story this week of someone who said when 9-11 happened, they saw it with their own eyes from an office building across the river. They were heartbroken, and for a season, it cut their connection with God. They said, why would God let such an awful thing happen? And it took a long time for them to realize that's simply not how God works. God has not set everything in motion predetermining every action we take. God is not to blame for human sin. So if you hear someone say everything happens for a reason, don't think God is controlling everything and making this happen. That is a bunch of malarkey. But is there another way to understand this phrase? Does everything happen for a reason? If we know both human freedom and our responsibility plays a role in what happens to us, maybe with that phrase we could be saying there is a reason behind why this is happening to us. The thinking then would be that there is at least an explanation. Maybe it's not God forcing this thing, good or bad, to happen, and we may not be able to see that reason, but there is a cause behind each thing that happens. Science has something interesting to say about this idea. There's something called chaos theory, which is the study of random behavior in deterministic laws. Uh, So that's a little bit of jargon there. Uh, So sometimes we think something is a given, it will always happen the same way. uh, So Newton's cradle is an example of this. And I actually happen to have one here on our altar up here, those uh, silver balls lined up there. If you lift one up, and you release it and it hits the line of silver balls, what happens? What will happen? Tell me, what is it? The one on the far end pops out, right? The the energy and momentum goes through all the balls and the last one is gonna pop up, swing out, and then it swings back down, hits the series of balls, and then the other end pops up and out, right? And it goes back and forth, right? You can see exactly what's gonna happen. You can see a chain reaction of how this system works, right? Uh, But in chaos theory, they recognize that everything is not so neat and tidy as that. Sometimes things happen that seem completely random. Some folks have heard of the butterfly effect, uh, the idea that even the flap of the wing of a butterfly can have cascading long-term effects around the world. For all that we understand about science and the laws that govern it, there are still some things we just can't know in advance. It's like the Pope showing up at a record store this week. Uh, Who expected that? Or, Or the Vitamix Cat standoff of 2022. How completely random are these viral moments? This is not an obvious next step from something else. It looks like chaos. A similar idea is at play in theology. No one in the scriptures rejects predestination, something that seems deterministic, as though everything is set in advance by God. But If that by itself were true, it would undermine the responsibility every person must have for themselves. Instead, Scripture seems to affirm both of these ideas at the same time, as though God can see the end, even if the course to that place seems random and haphazard. This is where things suddenly can make sense. Paul isn't telling us all things work together for good because God is making bad things somehow magically actually good things. No, he is saying God is at work despite the bad things, despite the chaos at work in our lives. God is somehow able to draw good out of even the very worst things that happen to us. And the evidence for this is not in a miracle that only happens for true believers or bad things somehow never happening to us. It happens in the coming of the kingdom of God. Heaven is a picture of what our world will look like when God's reign is complete and total. Everything will one day be good. Evil will be completely abolished injustice is over inequality is gone hunger and homelessness come to an end this is what it means to pray for the kingdom of god god will complete the transformation of everything from evil and chaos to complete good in the meantime there are still bad things in the meantime evil still happens around us does everything happen for a reason Well, yeah, because God isn't in charge of everything yet. Some people still resist the will of God with the freedom God gives them. There is still randomness despite the absolutely clear determination of God to bring future order and a future good to every corner of the world. Maybe another way to say it is, instead of everything happens for a reason, we could say, in the end, God will make everything right. God's goal for humanity cannot be thwarted. There may be problems for us today, but in the end, God will bless us. God will rule, and the world will be fair and right. Let me end with this. Uh, There's this movie called The Map of Tiny Perfect Things. It's a lovely film about two teenagers who are stuck in a time loop. The same day keeps playing over and over like Groundhog's Day. But the boy Mark thinks maybe if they can find all the perfect moments throughout the day, it will release them from this bad cycle they are stuck in. So, So they go searching. They find an eagle that swoops in to snatch a fish out of the water a skateboarder that lands the perfect trick, a janitor that plays an absolutely beautiful piece on the piano. More and more moments are discovered that add to their map. I won't give away the ending, but all these perfect pieces don't remove the pain of evil and sin and sickness, but they can move us forward. They can help us let go of the things that have held us captive so that we can move toward the life God has for us. I think of our family promise dinner. There are 150 people that are going to eat well tonight because a few people here donated money and Patricia helped organize some volunteers. She has stayed committed to a beef dinner despite the price of it nearly doubling because this is probably the only meal for the whole year that will get to uh, be a good, healthy meal like this for them. Think about it. 150 people will eat today because of you. God is at work in your hearts and lives, drawing the world a step closer to the world he has for us. It's heaven on earth. Is it predestined by God that we would do this making this meal? No, it's a choice we make as a sign of our love for God. That meal tonight is one of the tiny perfect things that are happening all over the world. If we have eyes to see it, we'll notice that God is drawing God's people into a way of life that will bless all people. Not just ourselves, but all people, as we commit ourselves to love God and love God's world more every day. Does everything happen for a reason? Not if you're trying to say God is controlling every moment of our lives. God gives us a choice, and we can use it for good or for ill. Things happen, and randomly we might face the worst life has to offer, but we do know that in the end, God will reign over all things. God will have brought every problem we've ever faced and bent it toward the ultimate good of the everlasting kingdom of God. In the meantime, let's look for those tiny perfect moments. The ones that might encourage those around us to pursue the life God would have for us. Amen? Amen. Amen.
0: For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.